Because the leader of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath. We think there are good guys and bad guys often in the Bible. Um, I don't know about you, but I grew up on Westerns where all the good guys wore the white hats and the bad guys wore the black hats. And the bad guys were always bad and the good guys were always good and you never had to worry. It was always clean and straightforward. And I found myself, and, and I think I was sort of taught this a bit, I transferred that over to the Bible. And, and you can expect that because Jesus is quite critical of the leaders of, uh, of the temple, of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, scribes, and a whole group of people who were in charge in his part of the world at that time. Some were really bad. But Jesus said this later on in, in Luke, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses for the sake of appearance. They say long prayers. But most of them weren't the bad guys. They were us. They were just trying to make life work. They were trying to keep their faith together in an incredibly difficult time. They were trying to preserve something that they thought was slipping away. Galilee, where Jesus was at this point in his ministry, was, uh, was infected, as the Jews would have thought about it, with Hellenistic thought, with different ways of thinking that were different to the way that, that the Jews had been taught, to the way they'd been brought up, and to the way that was sacred to them. The Romans, having invaded the country some 60-odd years before this, or 60-odd years before Jesus was born, so you know we're now talking 90 years, had brought in all kinds of changes. And one of the things they were doing was building up the huge cities uh, in uh, Caesarea Maritima, which is on the coast, and another city called Sepphoris, which was being built by one of Herod the Great's uh, sons, Philip. And he was building it as a great monument uh, to Roman power and authority. And it was sucking in all of the economics of the region. And the poor were getting poorer and the rich were, were grabbing the land. And there were big agribusinesses everywhere. And Jesus probably was a, more than likely a stonemason rather than a carpenter, lots of the traditions think. And if so, he would have been working in Sepphoris. It's only six miles or uh, six kilometres or so from, from Nazareth. So there's massive change going on. The Romans, oh, they were also, uh, the, the stories uh, uh, in the history are that, that the Romans, whenever you stopped being a Roman soldier, you were guaranteed land. That was the, the deal that you made in order to be in, basically ensconced or even enslaved as a Roman soldier for a long time. And one of the places that you gave people land was the new places that you'd settled. And Palestine was one of the new places, so people were losing their land to Roman soldiers. The place was really in turmoil. And now here's Jesus doing the same thing. It's a slippery slope. Our faith and our culture is at risk everywhere. Any small infraction, any small change can be the undoing. It's like if you're wearing a woolen sweater and there's a little thread loose, you know you shouldn't pull it. Because when you do, suddenly what you've got is not a sweater but a pile of wool on the floor. We've got to take a stand. 
you've got to be able to say no here and no further. If we don't, then everything is going to be lost. That's what's going on so much of the time in Jesus' time and place in these synagogues. And here too, the new Anglican diocese of the Southern Cross that you may have read about in the last couple of days. Um, The Anglican Church, just like the Uniting Church, split right down the middle on issues to do with sexuality. And a new uh, diocese has been formed, a non-geographic diocese. I don't know whether it's good or bad, but we're way ahead of the curve. We already did that. Because if you don't take a stand somewhere, then the whole thing will be gone. We're at fear that the whole thing will be lost. And this is surely what's at the heart of what's going on in this text. Indignant. To be indignant, there's lots of meanings for indignant, but it's, um, it's about being cross or angry or taking a stand or something you think is not fair. We've got to be reasonable. I mean, there's six days in which you can be healed. In fact, we're in the middle of the Sabbath. The Sabbath will finish at sunset. How, much, how hard could it be just to wait so that we don't mess everything up, so that we don't lose control? Of course this woman deserves to be healed, just not this moment. Just not right now, because we're losing everything. Don't you realise, Jesus, how fragile the situation is? Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman. It's strange language, isn't it? What do you mean, just then there appeared a woman? There she is. It's not Harry Potter. Surely what's going on here is the woman was there, of course. But she was a woman and she was disabled. So was she really there? Or was she there and nobody noticed her? Because why do you need to notice somebody who is of no account? But see, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and I'll bet he's teaching the same stuff as he was teaching in the synagogue in Luke 4 when he began his manifesto. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, and freedom. If that's true, suddenly your eyes are opened and you see it is as if it is as if she just appeared out of nowhere. She's finally seen. And her liberation, because that's what Jesus does, he doesn't heal her. He doesn't say that he heals her. He says that he tells her she is free. Of course, that involved a healing of her condition, but she's free. Her liberation begins the moment she is seen. She is, in case anyone's not got the message, she is actually a daughter of Abraham. She is one of us. If there's good news ever, anywhere, it's always about being seen for who we are, being seen and understood and respected, regardless of a disability, regardless of our age, of our sexuality, of our ethnicity. You hypocrites, Jesus says. You say you keep the Sabbath, but you're not. 
The Sabbath is always about liberation. Don't you remember what we've been taught week after week, year in and year out? From the book of Deuteronomy. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It's always about liberation. This is why Jesus doesn't just heal the woman but liberates her. Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage? When? On the Sabbath day. That's the whole point of the Sabbath day. Jesus could not do anything but heal on the Sabbath and bring freedom on the Sabbath. Its whole purpose was to remind us about freedom. And if it's not about liberation... If it's not about freedom, then it's just a pile of words. I was thinking about this on the drive here, so fortunately with, a, with a, a phone you can look up anything you like now. And it reminded me of a quote by the uh, existentialist writer Albert Camus who said, The church offers to introduce us to God. When we accept the invitation and arrive at the royal court, all there is left is protocol, buildings, budgets, organisations, programmes. The king is not there. Such a devastating quote. But there are six days in order to be healed. Come on, any one of those days. There's a proper way of being in need. There's an order to these things that must be kept. The problem with freedom is that it's, well, it's freedom. You can't control it. And we need order. We need the deserving poor, as the Victorians were so keen on reminding us. We need refugees to get in line in the orderly queue, which the right wing pretend actually exists but doesn't exist if you've ever had any contact with anybody who's a refugee. You've got to do things decently and in order, but there isn't one. There are six days. Come then. We speak about liberation. The leader of the synagogue must have spoken about liberation because that's the whole story of the Exodus. That's the the text of the scriptures that they taught every week. But something has gone wrong because a woman in need of liberation disappears in the crowd and is not seen. And it's all just words. We speak about liberation, but we live in the chains of fear and the need for control. When we act in indignation or in anger. Psychiatrists and psychologists remind us that underneath that is fear. Now, I find that really uncomfortable to think about. You think about the last time you were angry. And if you ask yourself, of what, you were, of what were you afraid the last time you were angry? Were you afraid of being out of control of the situation, somebody else taking charge? 
Were you afraid of looking bad in front of other people? Were you afraid of being found out for something that you, some weakness in who you are or how you operate? Fear is at the heart of, of anger. And, and many people in our churches are really angry at the time. I mean, we are, as the Uniting Church, we're split down the middle on issues to do with sexuality. The Anglican Church is right in the middle of that, as we know. We're frightened. In our Uniting Church in South Australia, we have deep problems in the office where we, we run our synod from, our, our, our statewide gathering. We have our moderator who is on stress leave. We've just lost our general secretary in a whole series of unclear to, to the rest of us, and that's the way it needs to be, I guess, for legal reasons. But all kinds of problems are going on. We know things are uncomfortable. It's because we know that it's all going away. The way that we've always thought the world should be is not the way it is anymore. It's disappearing. And we can live in anger, as some of us are. Some parts of the church, there's a great deal of anger. I've been visiting churches lately, and because they know that I've been coming from the presbytery, they assume that I'm coming to tell them what to do or to figure out how we can get hold of their building and sell it. <laughs> now, that doesn't come out of nowhere. These people aren't paranoid. There's just an enormous amount of pain and fear and anger and concern right in the middle of where Jesus is in this synagogue. There are six days. Come on. Let's do this properly. And Jesus steps through it all, through all the fear, through all the anger, and he does the one thing that must be done on the Sabbath, must be done on every day, announce liberation, freedom, with all that that involves, with all the excitement and fear that freedom brings. That's what we're being called to. What does the future look like? Well, if you know you really had to take another thought because you don't, we don't know. Willy Brandt, who was the, the, last vice, uh, the last chancellor of West Germany, was so unprepared for the wall to fall down that he was away on holiday the day it happened and had to rush back. Now, this is a, a, a government with an enormous number of advisors and, and uh, intelligent people who never saw it coming. We don't know what the future is going to hold. Our job is not to control it, but to celebrate our own liberation. That we are being invited to be liberated at every moment, all the time, and to give that to each other. Do not be afraid. It says all the way through Luke's Gospel, the Gospel we have for this year of our, of our lectionary. Do not be afraid. We only say don't be afraid to people who are likely to be afraid. And that's us. Do not be afraid. That's what Jesus says. Because I have good news, the angel said at the beginning of Luke, that is for who? Everyone. Including you. 
including me. Let me finish. This is a, um, a little poem by Michael Lunig, the Australian cartoonist. There are only two feelings, love and fear. There are only two languages, love and fear. There are only two activities, love and fear. There are only two motives, two procedures, two frameworks, two results. Love and fear. Love and fear.